For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Let's just start. Okay. Well, let's start podcasting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's an exciting frontier. <laughs> Is it though? Really? Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, if you and I met for coffee and then we just catch up and then, but people get to eavesdrop on that. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. I am yeah. so hesitant to, um, to tell people. I have a podcast. It's, um, I mean, I'm on a press tour right now. You are part of it, but there is still a part of it. It's like, yeah, doing this, uh, this podcast just cause it's a, it's a, there's a big market, but we all think we have something to offer. So I'm pressing on. Yes. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I will not hide it under a bushel. That's for sure. Cause I don't actually don't have any bushels. I'm out. Um, um, no, I, you know, I always, for me, it was knowing people like Jimmy Pardo and, and Scott Aukerman, who are sort of true pioneers of podcast, the podcast world. I always felt like such a dilettante to be sort of Johnny come lately into this world. But what I like about I yours is that it's your chance to finally lead the interview. Yeah, with- right. Which I find like I find interesting um, without that fucking six foot eight piece of dead weight. Yeah. Um, well, what's your pot? Tell tell me about. I mean, by the way, we're already making this pot. This is the three questions. Uh, everyone out there, you should already have figured that out. As I've said before, we, you didn't stumble upon this. You had to come here. It's a destination podcast. Um, and I'm talking to John Ross Bowie. Um, an old friend. We've known each other for 7,000 years. Give or take, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, we're both still doing this for a living, which is re- really saying something. It's astonishing. Yeah, yeah. It's astonishing. It's not nothing. A lot of people yeah. our age have said, fuck this, I'm getting my real estate license. Right, right. Um, uh, so tell me about your podcast. Since we're talking podcast right here at the top of the podcast and the podcast podcast. It is called Household Faces, and it is a chance for me to interview uh, character actors, to interview not necessarily big stars or household names, but in fact, household faces, people who you would recognize. Right. And uh, but maybe struggle to come up with their names or their credits, but you would know you know them. A common thread through a lot of people I've been talking to is that. When they're stopped on the street, people think they like, oh, do we go to school together? Did mm-hmm. we, did we, uh, are you, what gym do you belong to? What's your, what's your local Starbucks? And yeah. it's uh, without like that instant recognition of, oh, 
that's Ryan Gosling. Right. Um, these people live in a more of a, a, a gray area while still working steadily. Have you had that same experience where people think they went to school with you or something? Yeah. And yeah. we, we have a, a, there's a thing that happens, um, a very specific phenomena where, where I will go to get, you know, a latte in a place where I've never, ever, ever been before. And the person behind the counter will be like, oh, hey, we haven't seen you in a while. And I'm like, yeah, where this is a coffee bean in Alhambra. I've never set foot in here before in, in my life. And they're like, yeah, good to see you back. I'm like, yeah, I've yeah, been yeah. busy. I've been just seven yep. swamp. It's nice to see you. You look good. You look good. Yeah. <laughs> Ever since Phil Spector uh, left, I don't go back to Alhambra very much. I mean, I'd swing by his place, but yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I kind of, I get the same thing. Uh, I mean, well. Do you though? Because you were introduced by name every single night. Yeah. Now, not so much, but back well, sort of like earlier in the Conan days and then in between my two Conan stints more so. Because now it's kind of, and especially now with the show having finished on TBS and there being a lot of attention brought up about it. You know, just being articles about it and stuff. People yeah. know who I am more so. In fact, I just tweeted about yesterday, uh, I was standing in line at the Seven Eleven. Uh, getting getting my daughter some bubble gum because she got her braces off yesterday. So when I picked her up from school, I said, what do you want? I was like, you want corn on the cob? And she said, no, bubble gum. Amazing. So I bought her bubble gum at 7-Eleven. And all I, the taffy in the kingdom for my princess. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the guy behind me was a, uh, it was hot yesterday. The guy yeah. behind me was a, um, a, a meter reader for the, you know, the DWP. And he had on his belt, it was like it was an umbrella in a sheath like a sword and kind of like a longish umbrella, not just like a little one. And I was like, is that my guess was maybe because all the meters are sort of electronic LED now, maybe sometimes the sh in the sunlight, you can't read them. So maybe he needs to shade them or something. I said, and I asked him, I said, what's that for? And he said, for dogs, when dogs attack. He pulls out the umbrella and puts the, puts the umbrella in a dog's face so he can just sort of keep it at bay with the umbrella. I was like, oh, that's pretty brilliant. I don't I know if guessed, it's, My guess would have been uh, for sprinklers going off when he's around the back of the house. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. I mean, I would not have thought dogs, but it does make sense. Like, yeah, that's probably I mean, anything south of Rottweiler that probably handles it just fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But but then he said to he said to me, "Are you Andy Richter?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Like, man, when you took a hit of that joint with Seth Rogen, you really hit it like a champ." Is this in front of your daughter? No, no, she wasn't. I was oh, picking okay. her up from school. <laughs> oh. I said, and I mean, she you know she she knows you know she rolled not, with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was like, "Gosh, thanks." I said, "Well, you know." I said, actually, you know, and I said, now that I'm older, weed doesn't do me a lot of favors. I said, so I have to be very sparing with my usage. But yeah, I've had some experience. And he's like, I, I could tell, man. Good job, man. Uh, so wow. I did, definitely when I did uh, when I and I did know ahead of time, uh, Seth Rogen sort of overplayed it a little and was like, I had no idea. It's like, yeah, because somebody came, segment producer came to me and said, hey, how do you feel if they take out a joint and smoke it? And I was like, cool, fine, whatever. But I did know like, yeah, I'm, I better take a good hit of this. I better not take an Elon Musk hit of this. This no, is no. a, 
you want to you want to get a real challenge of yes anding so well it's so funny too because it's obviously you know obviously something like that is pre-screened it is still yes. illegal on the federal level it is right. you know when 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 john stewart went on colbert and announced that um he he thinks that the Wuhan uh, lab leaked COVID nineteen. The right wing was like, "Oh my God, he's such a bad boy!" All of a sudden, he's totally like he just threw this right in CBS's face. And I was like, "I refuse to believe this was not part of the pre-interview. Right? This was cleared with CBS legal. Absolutely. You do not know how television works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially talk show host talking to talk show host. Especially talk show host. Like, come on, it would be so rude." It would just be such bad form to like spring something on somebody like that. There's not so, a chance. I mean, yeah, come on. yeah. But anyhow, yeah, that's I mean, so people do recognize me as Andy Richter, but I used to get a lot of like, did we go to school together? And I after a while started to just cut to the chase and people go, do I know? And, I, and there was at least three times in my life where I went, I'm Andy Richter. I'm, you know, from the Conan show or whatever show. I happen to be on for that two weeks uh, in the in the interim time. And they're like at least three times people were like, no, no, that's not it. Like, Amazing. like, like, oh, well, then I, I don't know. I guess I just look like some other round faced guy, you know, sorry. There's been a thing that has happened to me a couple of times that has happened to a few, a few people far more famous than I, which is where they, they start their hesitant recognition with. Hey man, no offense, but <laughs> you look like that guy from Big Bang. No, and I was like, none taken. I get that a lot. Fucking <laughs> hell. <laughs> well, also, what is that? I mean, why? Because it's Big Bang Theory, and they're nerds. Like, I guess so. That's I really mean, buying I, the I, premise. You know, I, I, I mean, okay, you know, or, or it's just like you look a lot like that that weirdly gaunt hunchback that shows up every uh, couple times a season <laughs> on Big Bang. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's like. Yeah, I get that. Don't I don't see play, it, but I do get that. Don't you play unfuckable dude on that hit show? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, um, let's start at the beginning. You're a New York City boy, aren't you? You're like born and bred and you got, the, you know, you, you got the urine smell soaked into your skin. The- I really do. I really <laughs> do. Yeah, I was born in uh, I was born in Queens um, and then we moved into Midtown Manhattan when I was about three. And and um, what did your folks do? My folks were in my mom at the time was a uh, a housewife. Um, my dad was in the paper industry. My dad was a customer service rep in um, um, for uh, the the paper company that supplied like the New York Post and the Philadelphia Inquirer. And oh wow, a lot of he. But he was like a real like middle management kind of low rung guy, and he. Um, was but you know what actually you know what his very first uh uh job at a college was he was a page for jack parr oh wow at studio 6a wow um he was an actual tonight show page um when parr was hosting the tonight show and it was the only job he claimed to ever love oh wow but he was of that generation you know his parents were immigrants and he was of that generation where like that shit was frivolous. You just did not mm-hmm. follow that career path. And he um, what he did was really interesting. He balled it up into a, a pulsating hot wad of resentment 
<laughs> and stuffed it way down where words can't reach. And it never came out. I'm just kidding. It leaked out a lot. Yeah, yeah. It fucked up his kids. Is yeah. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he just had the one kid. But yeah, the kid. Oh, okay. Um, the kid is. Uh, the, uh, the kids processed a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he was in, you know, he was in customer service and he would say um, he would say things like, oh, I'd, I'd much rather get a laugh than a sale. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I feel you. But that's not your job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your job is to get sales. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he was he was a very. I mean, he's a huge reason why I'm doing this podcast. He would he would he would you know, let me stay up and, and watch old movies with him. And he was always like pointing out people in the corner of the screen. Like, yes, he loved Bogart, but over there, yeah. that's Elijah cook jr. Yeah. And, that's Anthony Zerb. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, it, it is, a, it is unfortunate because like I have, you know, I have not so much my mom, my mom or my dad, but like I had an aunt who, was even in Chicago, like blocks away from Second City and could have so easily done that. I mean, and she wasn't resentful or anything, but I just don't think that it it occurred to her that that was a thing that a, a young woman in the mid early 60s did. You know? Well, doubly, doubly uh, weird, I think, for for women at that time, yeah. too, you know, because there were, you know, there was Joan Rivers and Elaine May. Elaine May and Phyllis Diller, Barbara Harris, sort yeah. of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it, it was a very, uh, it was a very different time. And I think it would have been like sort of implicitly discouraged mm -hmm. for, was she funny? Was she charming and kind of cute? Oh, yeah. Until the day she died pretty mm -hmm. much. Um, no. Was, uh, what, what was your, uh, your, is it, are they Scots? The, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're Scots. Yeah. So yeah. are they sort of that classic Scots, like rugged and unemotional? Um, yeah, my, yeah, my, that's the other. They're, you know, they're, yeah, the, they're supposed yeah, to be, yeah. they're, that is our, our stereotype is that we're incredibly thrifty. Um, there is a, uh, a cartoon that my dad had um, that was sent to him when I was born from a, a paper in Glasgow of a guy in full like Scots Highland regalia with the mm -hmm. kilt and the whole nine. And uh, he's in a uh, waiting room of a delivery room back when men would wait out in the delivery room, waiting room. And he's uh, he, he's got a cigar and there's a guy sitting down next to him and he's like, it's a boy, have a puff because you wouldn't <laughs> give an entire cigar to someone. And I love that cartoon because it's so dated. Yeah. 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 <laughs> on every front. On so many levels. On yeah, so yeah. many levels. It's so, yeah. it's like a time Native capsule. garb in the city hospital. Yeah, All yeah. of it, you know? Yeah. But, um, uh, but yeah, the tradition is they're very thrifty and they're very, uh, um, kind of terse and can be a little cold. Yeah. Um, and my dad had a little bit of that, but he was also, he wasn't, super funny but he was witty he had a he had a dry quick wit he had good timing and he could say things in a funny way mm -hmm. that weren't necessarily that funny but he could deliver them pretty pretty capably don't ask me for an example because again like the things right, themselves yeah. were not that funny right, but right. They, they, he had a way about him and he was a student of comedy he had like a bunch of albums like he got me into carlin he got me into newhart um he got me, I mean, the Cosby for what it's worth. Um, 
but he had all these 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 great comedy records from the 60s that he swore by. Yeah. And we'd listened to them a bunch. And I think there was a, a big part of him that was um, that was desperate to do something performative, mm-hmm. but he never even got a chance to really articulate it. He had a great yeah. voice too. He had a, like a, a like I have a little bit of a sibilant S, but he had a deeper voice than mine with no trace of a speech impediment and a little bit of that clipped Celtic thing going mm-hmm. on. So it was pretty because both his parents had had super thick accents. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was he was fun to listen to. Did they need to live in uh, – uh, did they need to live in Manhattan? Like, did he work in Manhattan? He did. He worked in Manhattan. Um, he could have very capably lived in the outer boroughs. He was born in Brooklyn, didn't want to go back there because of some sort of weird you-can't-go-home-again shtick oh. that he was dealing with. Were I his parents he, still there? His parents were on Long Island by that. His dad oh, was okay. dad, and his, his mom was on Long Island by that point. He had um, he'd been born in Brooklyn, but grown up in Nassau County. And he, um, no, he didn't really need to live in Manhattan. There were a lot of people at his office who took the Metro North down from Westchester. Yeah, but it's weird though because he 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 used to work in a building um, near uh, Grand Central, mm-hmm. um, Park Avenue South. And so, you know, pretty quick com- uh, commute. He could take the bus right across 42nd Street. Yeah. And um, but yeah, he he plopped us down right in the middle of the theater district, literally across the street from the actor's studio. Wow. And for a brief period of time, Paul Newman had an apartment on our block and you'd see him just like crossing the street yeah, to go yeah. to the actor's studio. And, and we had like a mix of vaguely you know a vaguely recognizable uh household faces living in the neighborhood it's a couple blocks from uh manhattan plaza do you remember mm-hmm. Manhattan plaza from when you were in new york yeah it's um it's uh artist subsidized housing the city mm-hmm. subsidizes it so um not just actors but you know people on the crew and writers and stuff can can live there um and they're kind of it's like these these kind of drab you know uh not particularly uh yeah, it was all they're, house, like the they're housing projects. They're yeah, housing. They're, they're, they're nicer yeah. than, I mean, housing project has a, uh, has a, a pejorative sound to it, but they are essentially right. housing but projects. It is, yeah. But they, yeah, they are essentially because like, yeah. I know, uh, 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 I, I mean, I won't say, but you know who it, uh, an actress that we both know, uh, got one and it was, it's down, it's like on 23rd and 9th or 10th on the corner. There's one of those kind of, you know, a collection of five or six identical buildings, very sort of institutional yeah. looking living. And those were for garment industry workers. Yeah. Like those were built the by, garment district. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and this friend of ours lives in one of those and the walls are literally cinder block. Like, yeah. uh, you know, like a, like a grade school or something. Yeah. Or a dorm. Know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I know um, those buildings. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, those are. Yeah. So they're they're all it's all like lightly subsidized housing. But so mm-hmm. there were a ton of actors growing up or when I was growing up around us. But a lot of them were just struggling and yeah. and, you know, waiting tables into their 40s. And um, and I, I just looked at that and thought, like, that sounds I mean, this the stuff on TV looks really fun, but I'm watching all right. these other people. I'm like watching these people try to get on TV and it, it looks really fucking hard and draining. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. kind of backburnered it for 20 or so years. <laughs> yeah. 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 I had a neighbor who was a 
we we lived on the same floor and our apartment was market market value and hers was was uh deeply discounted because of rent control which you know good for her but she said at least four times well i have rent control you can afford to pay full price your tv honey i'm stage you know like you know and i'm like she's like you can you know you can pay for my part of part of my rent like you know it's like I like socialism. I mean, I like Denmark and stuff, but I don't like the that idea, you know, like <laughs> as if as if like your TV I'm stage, which just has such the connotation of like you Listen, know, you sell out hack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a whore and yeah. I am a courtesan. Don't mind me while I do my Ionesco monologues. <laughs> right, exactly. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Can't you tell my loves are growing? That is that is an interesting perspective to have on that life because yeah, it's it's tough, you know. I mean, I have a 20-year-old son who's a, a really wonderful artist, and the notion like he did not go to school for studio art because he's like, I have had teachers my whole life who are fantastic artists who are just barely scraping by and he just doesn't want that. You know, he's like, he's not totally, you know, money focused. He's still going to do something creative and everything, but I mean, I understand it. You know, I think it's almost kind of this sort of blissful ignorance of coming from like a small town, like I did where you're just kind of like, I don't know, I guess you can make a living at this. I see people, you know, I see people, when I first came out to LA, I'm like, look at all these houses. I mean, showbiz is paid for a lot of these houses and not everybody's Tom Hanks or, you know, uh, Julia Roberts. You know, some of these people are hanging lights or painting sets. You know, I, I think I can make a living in this, you know. Um, uh, they're, the hanging lights and painting sets are all down in the beach cities. But yeah, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're generally right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's the key thing. And I, I'm, I'm hesitant to play the, you know, well, I'm a, such a savvy urbanite, but I think if you grow up just 
watching the end results of TV and award shows, you it will skew your perspective a little yeah. bit. Um, but I, I have this burned in memory of of uh, this this friend's dad coming up to us when we were leaving elementary school, my mom and I, and being like, can you, can you watch my kid? Um, I have a last minute audition. I can't bring him. Can you just, can you just watch him and I'll come by it. And he was desperate. He looked like a gambler, um, uh, like withdrawing his last chunk of money. And it really scarred me. And, and like, I was deep into my twenties before I decided that I had tried a bunch of other jobs and wasn't very good at them. So I was going to commit to acting because I kept having that friend's dad in my head and the fear behind his eyes. Wow. Wow. And well, and what is it like? I mean, growing up as a little kid in New York city must be something. I mean, at the time you don't, you're not aware of its uniqueness. Are you? I mean, you're not aware of like the absence of a yard or, you know, no, you're not danger. really. No, you're you you are you're aware of the danger, but you think that everyone is going through it. And then as I grew up and as I, I went, I left and went upstate New York for college. And then in my 20s, I met a lot of people from outside of New York who had moved to New York. And um it and that's when it started to hit me that, like, oh yeah, I guess. I guess not everyone gets mugged when they're 12. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that is a unique mm-hmm. thing. And this again is, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now. So the, the, this is New York of the seventies and eighties. Um, this is Ford to New York city drop dead. This is yeah. the, the Koch years. This is, so there, there's, there's crime. There's um, a lot of desolation. My mom's, gay friends are are dying one a year minimum yeah our teachers are dying wow um it was yeah i'm I'm hesitant to use the term because everyone's got their stuff but there is stuff that qualifies as trauma you know you come home to find your house ransacked that's fucking traumatic yeah yeah you know and then you stay there that night you know where are you gonna go so you stay there that night after and knowing full well that somebody was sitting on your bed going through your shit earlier that day yeah yeah that's that's traumatic you know It, it, it shook me up and it was years before i sort of stopped looking at it as like, well, this is the chip on my shoulder that makes me kind of a badass and more like, no, John, you're kind of a mess. And yeah, there might be some corollary between this and the uh, anxiety disorder you've been diagnosed with just <laughs> spitballing over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not, you, nobody, you know, should just like grin and bear that, that sense of violation. That's a real, you know, that's a real mind fuck, but there's, I this- mean, there's, pe- there's people that never get over it. They no, it's true. Yeah. It really is true. But there's people, there is this weirdly New Yorky disease where like, yeah, come on, put a little hair on your chest. It's okay. Yeah, you know, we're, yeah. we're tougher than those suburban guys. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It might've been nice to like live near a crick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go out and catch some frogs. Yeah. Barefoot. I'm assuming, I have no idea what you people do in the suburbs. I'm assuming it's all, it's all very, oh, that's very pretty much it. That's okay, pretty great. much it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of barefoot uh, frog catching. Uh, we're catching catfish with our hands. I'm assuming like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so what's high school like for you? Are you, I mean, what, what are you sort of like, what's forming? Where are you going? What are you thinking of doing with yourself? 
you know, I had really no idea in high school at all. So I just tried to enjoy my English classes and I did, I got as close as I could to theater without getting on stage. So I did yeah. tech crew for all the musicals. So I, I painted Tevye's house and, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and helped, helped fly it from the rafters and shit like that. You know? Right. Because and, and that was the compromise and that seemed like doable. Yeah, exactly. That wasn't, it seemed wasn't doable. too boastful. Yeah. It wasn't boastful. It wasn't self-aggrandizing. I, I, it's very fun. I actually, I loved doing that. Yeah. I, I still, to this day, I get like this kind of, whenever I'm on, on a soundstage and I smell carpentry, I get this kind of really yeah. visceral kick from being, you know, 15 and, and working on Fiddler or Two Gentlemen of Verona. Um, it's, uh, it's exciting as hell. Um, so yeah, I was just, you know, listening to a lot of punk rock and reading a lot of books and, um, uh, trying to get laid. It was an, it was a neat high school. Cause it was, um, it was, it was called, uh, the Bayard Rustin high school for the humanities. And it was the most diverse high school in New York city, which is saying mm. something. Yeah. Um, so it was this fascinating, you know, and I was still, you know, people kind of stuck to their groups and everything. And it was still, you know, it was, it was me and a a couple uh, of my, my white friends having lunch, but New York city being so cramped that there was no way that you weren't eventually going to have a a talk or two with the kids from the Muslim club. And uh, you know, there was no, there was, you know, going to be this gorgeously humiliating moment where uh, a a Chinese kid just destroys you in a game of one-on-one. He's like, he was like, I'm only five, eight. He was like five, five. And he was just like fucking nailing (laughs) these three pointers on me. Yeah. Um, So it was this kind of great, um, this great Benetton ad to go to high school in for a while there. And um, it was for the most part, pretty harmonious. It was, it was just a, it was sort of this weird school for, you didn't have to test to get in there, but you had to apply anyway. And they would take a look at your attendance and your grades. And it was for, for kids who were bright, but like maybe weren't cut out for Stuyvesant, you know, and maybe Mm -hmm. like couldn't, didn't test that well. So they were just going to kind of try to tough it out um, at a, at a a different place. But um, like for the B plus a minus kids. Yeah. 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 And that's, that is where I hovered, you know, I was not a terrific student. Um, I, I was very easily distracted and, and I, um, I, I suck at the sciences. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was it was fun. It was really neat, and it was right in Chelsea, so you could after school oh, you could great. just wander down to the West Village, nice, and you know shop for records or you know see Joey Ramone walking down the street, stuff like that. It was really yeah, neat. yeah. That's great. I mean, and I, I do think too that I always felt that that the proximity that you have to people not like you, the literally rubbing elbows with them, is about as good a prejudice proofing as exists, you know, like it's really hard to dehumanize people when you have them in front of you, next to you, talking to you, working with you, you know, going to school with you, living next door to you. It's because I, you know, so much of the stupidity of racism just comes from ignorance and just, you know, the scaredest, the people who are the most scared of others are the ones that never come across any others. It, you know? it is striking to me that 
the more different demographic groups you tend to run into on any given day, the more likely you are to be a liberal. Yeah. That's as polite as I can possibly put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. And I mean, like we had our our moments and I had my own personal moments of my own like, you know, biases that that I've I've dealt with. And some of that was just, you know, bad experiences, mm-hmm. uh some of it with individuals, some of it was my my father's conservatism leaking into me and me, you know ostensibly on the surface being mad at my dad, but also trying to, you know, please him and connect with him to a certain extent. But yeah, for the most part, it was a real sort of crash course in the broad scope of humanity that New York has to offer. Yeah. And so that's the thing. So my, my stuff with New York is ambivalent. There was a lot of trauma, but there was a lot of fascinating joy too, mm-hmm. which I guess is you know, childhood, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but would you go kinda, back? Would you go back if you could, like, if you could live wherever you wanted, do you think you'd go back? If I could you've live, been in LA for a long time now, I've right? been in LA for 20 years almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I could go back and live wherever I wanted, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe, but I still, I, I am very fond of it here in, yeah. in LA and I like <laughs> raising my kids here. I think it's got a really nice sort of, like we can take them for a hike in Griffith Park yeah. and yeah, um, yeah. we can get out of town in a way that we couldn't in yeah. New York. Yeah. Um, it's you know, we, no one ever actually goes up to the Hudson Valley. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> it's right, right, right there, but nobody actually yeah, yeah, ducks yeah. out to the Hudson Valley for right. the weekend. <laughs> uh, unless they like own a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere and then they just go and stare at each other, which, yeah. you know, which uh, God bless. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, um, we were, you know, we, it's, you can be on a, budget in LA and still yes. duck out to Palm Springs. For I have found because people ask, have asked me like, would you ever want to live in New York city again? And it, that question, no matter who you are, is usually contention on like, well, if I had a giant wheelbarrow full of money, then yes, I would. But yeah. it is, it's a much, it's a rough place to not be rich. Uh, you got to really, uh, I mean, it could to even be, you know, like L.A. rich in New York is still that you're just normal, you know, you're just like normal. Just, yeah. Especially in Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's the Joan Didion line about New York where she, and I think I've got it right where she says it's for the very young or the very rich. And she said that like 35, 40 yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so true. Now, it's true. It's so much worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so much more that. Yeah. And they're not, you know, and nobody's building more subsidized housing for actors no artists no that was anymore. a real blip that was yeah, a real yeah. blip yeah for a few minutes there <laughs> we put a we put a priority on creativity and like eh, well, you know they're not going to make that much money let's just build some houses for them well you look at like what happened in the 70s in that city amidst all that you know crime and desolation and the bronx is burning you also had a lot of art that came out and you had a lot of music that came out because you could afford to be a dipshit artist in the city at that time, you know? And I don't know, I don't know who the bands coming out of New York are anymore. The last man to really break out in New York is the strokes and all due respect. They're, they're decent songwriters, but they're all rich kids. They're all, they all went to private school. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and you I, and I aren't supposed to know what bands are breaking now anyway. That's, no, fair enough. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And for all I know, there's a band on the charts right now that are from New York. I just yeah, don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So you go upstate to college. Where uh, where was it? Was it I- Ithaca College in Ithaca? That's and um, is that a culture shock or is that that was a culture pleasant? shock to a certain extent? Yes, because yeah. it was a very 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 small city. I, I, I we we kept. I had a couple of friends from New York who were up there as well, and we kept calling it a town. And we'd be corrected and say, "Well, I'm in the city of Ithaca." I'm like. Okay. <laughs> you know, you, I, I saw like if one elevator downtown. Better. There yeah. is a single elevator building downtown, but if it's not, <laughs> I don't want to fight about it. <laughs> um, but it was, um, so yeah, it was, it was very, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very small and it's not particularly diverse, but it's, it's a, I don't know if you've ever visited up there. It's, you know, it's, there's Ithaca college, there's Cornell university, there's Tompkins County community. And those three colleges are the main industry. It is a genuine college town. Wow. And so it's very, very liberal. It is very liberal. And my freshman year there, I I was 18 and I registered to vote locally. I didn't do an absentee ballot in New York. I registered to vote in Ithaca and um, voted for a socialist mayor who was running on a post. <laughs> wow. Because um, you could do that in Ithaca. It, yeah. It's this crazy, like, hippie enclave that is, um, that is, it does pretty well. It's pretty sustainable. And they, they do a lot to, like, support small businesses. And people fall, it's, you know, it's the old saying Ithaca is gorgeous. It really is very pretty. It is very, very aesthetically pleasing. You've got, you're the edge of the Finger Lakes. You've got the six mile gorge going through it. People go to college there, fall in love with the place and stay put. It's, it's wild. Um, When you say Ithaca is gorgeous, I have not thought about that. That's a t-shirt that we used to, uh you know, that people used to wear when you're, and I haven't thought about that, but yeah, that's, I remember that t-shirt Ithaca is gorgeous. I think um, it was actually a runner on uh, on the office because um, I think oh. Ed Helms's character was supposed to have gone to Cornell. Um, but people really are 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 very fond of that town, um, and it was um, small. And public transportation stopped at midnight, but that's okay. Nothing was open anyway. Yeah. Um, there were a few adjustments I had to make, um, but I liked it. I think it kind of slowed me down a little bit in a good way, mm-hmm. kind of like, literally kind of lowered my heart rate. Yeah. In a way, just by virtue of the fact that everything was so like, I just did not feel threatened by mm-hmm. everything around me for and more personal years. space too. You know, you more you personal space somewhere and have the street to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was wild. And there were times where you could kind of, Ithaca's on top of the the South Hill and you could walk downtown and you'd be, you know, have the whole little sidewalk to yourself for a while there. And it could be very, um, very peaceful, very serene. And I stayed up there one summer and it was really pretty. You could swim in the gorge and it was, uh, it was nice. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was really good for me. But you ended up back in Manhattan, right? I mean, you know. I did. Well, what happened was I, I, I got my, English degree, and I got certified to teach high school while I was up there. Mm-hmm. And I did my student teaching at Ithaca High <clears throat> and um, came back and not quite sure what to do with myself. I just kind of like went where I was already sort of known. I didn't throw myself into the abyss of like, I'm just going to run out and try to get assigned into this public school system. I yeah. went back to my old high school hat in hand, and the old assistant principal gave me a job. Oh, wow. And I Teaching did that. English? That's the, the ha, there's the rub. <laughs> he Driver's was like, listen, head. 
He was like, um, God forbid, I'd know how to drive. Um, yeah, I, I, we did, my high school first off That's did hilarious. not offer. That's right. My, my yeah, high school course. didn't offer drivers. Why yet. would they? Yeah, my high school didn't offer drivers. Yeah. We got a seminar. We got a uh, an assembly one time, cautioning us not to drive drunk. And I was looking around to like the left and the right of me, like none of us have driver's license. Who is this for? <laughs> like our fucking teachers don't drive. What is going? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm grateful for the hour off. Don't get me wrong. But like, <laughs> what the fuck are we all doing here? Don't yeah. drive drunk, kids. None for the road is the only way. Like, OK, I don't. <laughs> also, if you're going to be flying a plane, you should be sober, too. <laughs> Thank you. Space shuttle. Same thing. Yeah. Listen, guys, when you're out jet skiing, what are you talking about? <laughs> but so so he was like, listen, you know, English teachers grow on trees. Everybody who gets an English degree gets their teaching certification. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Had not thought of now. That, you I guess tell me. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but I. um but I can we, we've got what's called a a oh, there's an actual term for it. It's not desperate need, but it's something like that where they're like, they're, they're like, you can come in and you can teach special ed. And I was like, dude, I am not certified for special ed because it doesn't matter because we have this desperate need qualification where we can sort of emergency certify you to teach. Oh, special the school ed itself because, had the desperate need. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because their guy who was trained was out with prostate cancer. Oh, wow. And so I, I don't mean to, uh, to laugh, but just it felt like teachers are just constantly getting sick at this place. Yeah. Um, so we go in and I was like, I mean, all right, let's try it, you know. And I'm 22 years old. I'm boyish as fuck. I don't have to shave every day, but I do. Mm-hmm. I wear a tie just to like age myself up as much as I can but I'm a fucking cherub up there. And I, you know, I'm exactly at the median height for the class. (laughs) And all right. It was just very hard to command respect. And I did that for a couple months. And then they put me in. Mr. Santino came back in remission and they put me in English as a second language. I'm also not certified for this, but they had a desperate need. So I taught ESL for a little while. And then I taught, then they finally, for the second semester, they had two sections of English for me. You could teach two sections of 10th grade English. I'm like, great, but you know, the day is five classes. What are the other three? And they were like, well, we don't like to call it remedial math. So we call it consumer math. Consumer math. You know, like you're, you're teaching people to make change because you're basically <laughs> teaching people how to make change. That's profoundly oh, depressing, but wow. all right. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'll try to make this as, as brief as I can. It's already too long. You know, kid took a swing at me. Kids just stopped showing up to class. One of my, um, a girl in the homeroom I was in charge of, um, uh, just got more and more pregnant. <laughs> just eventually she was gone in March. And then in May, she came back with an infant. And I was like, yeah. why is, why did you bring your child to school? 15 year old. Oh. Um, so it was a lot of, um, it was incredibly stressful and it was the first year of the Giuliani administration in New York and there were massive cuts being made to the board of education. And they came to me and said, we can't, you know, you don't have a master's. You, you, we, you've got one year of seniority. We're, we're letting everybody go. And I went, I was like, you know what? Don't even apologize. I'm broken. Yeah, I'm a fucking yeah, shell of yeah. a man. <laughs> I'm, I've never been so tired in my life. And it's true. I was not that tired again until I had children. Wow was the last like there I had a nice little like 
12, 13 year break of complete exhaustion. And then <laughs> when I had my first kid, I was like, yeah. oh, what does this feel like? Oh, this yeah. is like the teaching. This year. is like teaching. Yeah. <laughs> this is children. Children do this. It's fucking you. children are killing yeah, yeah, yeah. me. That's what it is. <laughs> Uh, well, do you get any kind of severance or, I mean, so do you have like a little bit of cushion or you just, I, well, what you do is I was paid through the year. So you're paid through the summer basically. So I had uh-huh. this glorious summer where every two weeks I would go to this drawer where I had all these post-dated checks and I would take them to the bank and that was fun until August. And then I just started temping. Yeah. Um, and just kind of tried to, to find myself and, you know, that involved, you know, trying to write a novel and being in a band for a while and, and all sorts of things. And then it thankfully um, all fell apart and my band broke up and I broke up with my girlfriend and I moved back in with my mom. But the convenient thing is that my mom was still in the, the apartment in the West 40. So having tried a bunch of different jobs, I was like, you know, I really should give acting a swing or else I'm always going to wonder what if. Yeah. But again, moving back home for me, this is the this is the lucky break. Moving back home means just moving to the theater district again. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Being close to it. Yeah. I'm like, and right. there was so you didn't have any sort of like hunches to like what was your heart's desire or, or some less corny. Phrase. No, it was, it was, no, it, it was my heart's really desire, have... but I was just scared off of it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, it was definitely my heart's desire, but it was deep down in, I, I mean, I imagine it's, it's, it's kind of like, no, nah, I don't, I'm hesitant to say that it's the way gay guys feel or maybe used to feel before, before it was a little more accepted, but there was a sense that, this is something I want to do. I'm embarrassed to tell people about it, but I'm at my wits end. I have no other prospects. I have a job writing brochures for a consulting firm right now. I'm not yeah. good at it and I hate it. I'm just like, life has me up against the wall. I have to at least try this dream of mine. Yeah. And I just got incredibly lucky, incredibly fast. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Can't you tell my love's a growing? So many people, it is like it's funny that that don't want to admit that they want to be whatever it is that they really want to be. They their fallbacks are things like yours, which was like, I'll write a novel. Like, oh yeah, that that surefire hit. You know, that 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 cash cow. Well, or I mean, maybe I'll be I'll, I'll be in a band. Like, oh yeah, that's great. That you know, bands always take off, you know. <laughs> it, but but it's not just a question of stability. 
that was part of it, certainly, but it was also a question of like, there is something sort of fundamentally uncool to the layman about like, I want to be an actor. You know, forget that like it's all there's all a level of self-aggrandizement in being in a band, in being a writer, you know, but there's still something like, oh, he's a novelist. That's super cool. He's a, you know, he's he's a fucking bassist in a band. That's super cool. He's an actor. That means you wait tables, you know. And so I think there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of. Of that self-consciousness of like, oh, that's not a cool thing to want to do. Yeah. And also remember you're, you're talking to a ton of people. Uh, you know, you, you, I've listened to the podcast and you get a lot of people who, who come from comedy who are hesitant to admit how serious they take the craft Yeah, because yeah. you don't want to sound like, you know, a douchebag. Yeah. You're still like a, a rugged, cool. Yeah. Improv that, guy. All this stuff just, just, you know, like water off a duck's back. That's all everything. You know, Al, Mike, all, every work is just like no sweat. Yeah, just yeah, I just sort of, I cool, I you know, I fonzied my way in. Exactly. Every, <laughs> everyone picked me up on their shoulders. Yeah, um, yeah. It it is. I I I mean, I understand. Like as you're saying it, I was kind of like, really? Is that? I mean, as I'm thinking about it, yeah. I mean, I have a different version of it, and it even because I remember. And in you know very in those same exact times, uh, being on the Conan show, which was like really truly plucking me from obscurity. I mean, I'd done a couple of acting roles, but nothing to where I knew how to do anything. Like I, you know, the Conan show, it was like right for TV, and it was okay, you know. And I'd never done that before, so I still had the uh, I think a bit of an imposter syndrome, and. I just remember because my ex-wife, Sarah, she's a writer and she used to do lots of, and she's an actor too, um, but she used to do a lot of readings and a lot of kind of Luna Lounge, the alternative comedy scene to me, which I always- Spoken word kind of stuff. Yeah, which coming from improv and improv in Chicago, it's not artsy. It's, you know- it's beer and pizza. Yeah, these people you know? bring beers on stage. I've yeah, seen this group yeah. Puppies. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very much, yeah. And I mean, and there's, you know, and there's a few, you know, they try and, you know, Del Close improv was kind of esoteric. And, you know, and it was, you know, you could make Del happy by referencing Moliere and things, which I always found kind of cheap. And anyway, it's like, all right, I'll memorize some shit and say it in front of Del and he'll be happy. Um, but it was mostly... Cubs fans, Bears fans, you right. know, Blackhawks fans. It was like that, that was improv. Yeah. And so to come to New York City and to be, you know, like going downtown to these artsy places where people are doing alternative. And I remember going to see Sarah do a reading and, John, and it was the first time I met John Hodgman and she already knew him because she'd, she'd been in some things with him. And he, and I met him and he's very sweet and very nice. But it was watching that show, and it may have even been at Luna Lounge, I don't know. I was watching that show feeling very like, oh, I mean, I mean, I know I'm on TV and everything, but these people are really cool. They're like the, they're like the arts, you're like, they're art. I'm commerce, they're art. <laughs> and I and I just and I was as I'm watching this show, I, it just hit me. I was like, oh my God, they're just trying to be funny. Like that they're trying to be funny and entertain people. Like they're oh. 
I can do that. Like, I know what that's about. It was so, it was like such a moment of like, oh, I can relax. I cannot have to feel like a, like a hayseed, you know? Yeah, it's sure. like, no, it's just funny. It's just, you know, it's just being funny and ent- entertaining people. Did you ever go see um, Burn Manhattan? No, I, I it, it strikes a bell, but I don't remember what it was. The Burn Manhattan was a group of Chicago expats who lived in New York, and they were they were positioned. They didn't position themselves as the anti UCB, but they were kind of positioned as the by sort yeah. of exterior forces. And right. their whole deal was they wore the mac- they wore the matching black suits as an homage to their second city roots. It was Todd Stashrick, John Thies, um, Matt Higgins, a bunch of guys who had come I, up through second I know city. A lot. Yeah, I know those yeah, guys. Sure yeah, sure Piven directed them. Yeah. But their whole deal was they did much more abstract contact tracing contact um not contact tracing yeah <laughs> this pandemic um but sort of contact <laughs> improv very physical very yeah. very physical and ucb would train you to be this like fucking incredible machine who operated from the nose up yeah who was just constantly like they said don't think but you really were you were thinking constantly and you know and and bopping all over the place and burn manhattan was very in your body and i they don't even think they took a suggestion like the piano player would start playing something and they'd start rolling around and then suddenly they were all you know uh moss covered rocks having a conversation with each other um and there'd be musical numbers and all sorts of crazy shit and what we would do when i was coming up is we would try to get our feet in both worlds so saturday night we would go see burn manhattan and sunday night we would go see ascat at ucb with you know you doing monologues you playing people like janine coming in to do monologues and it was very and that was the more like what the kind of chicago improv you're talking about people had the occasional beer on stage everyone was in their street clothes right and then burn manhattan had they did it in a theater like an actual black box theater downtown you know sometimes it's soho rep and so it was like this for us and by us i mean people like seth morris rob cordry brian husky the people i were i was working with continuously there was a real sense of okay, we can do both of these things. You know, you can be like the kind of, uh, you know, uh, too cool for school uh, improviser, but you can also get really kind of pretentious and almost gothy with it as well. Yeah. And it was, it was a really good balance for us because I was so in my, in my head when I started and I had no idea what to do with my body. And I was just very stiff and awkward. And, and, you know, I would do these like movement workshops with Todd Stashwick, you know, where we're, you know, carrying each other around and shit. That was so good for me. Mm. So I, we, I, I spent a big time trying to like a big part of my twenties trying to strike that balance once I, I decided to take this seriously. Yeah. And you and you're living in your mom's apartment too, so you have that cushion, right? So you I had you know. a little bit of that cushion. I was helping out with the rent a little bit, just out of sheer guilt and shame. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, and a day job, still writing pamphlets or whatever, or attempting. I quit or? that around the time I started level two with uh, with Amy. I took uh-huh. Amy Poehler's Amy level Poehler, two class, yeah. and. Um, and uh, and here's where we get mushy. There was a young lady in that class named Jamie Denbo. I've heard of her. And I looked at her and promptly Seth Morris asked her out. And I was like, wow, okay, well, that's <laughs> the way things go. And yeah. they, um, they just didn't connect. Yeah. And so I waited a little while and I started dating somebody and she was dating somebody. And then we, we ended up uh, uh, getting together and now we have two kids. Yeah. 
So that's great. That. Yeah. It was yes. Good for me. That was, that's one of the main, one of the best parts of, uh, getting into improv is, uh, oh, funny women, you know, <laughs> like smart, funny women funny and also women. a chance for like a guy like me to be the alpha. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, my five foot eight scoliosis ridden ass getting up there and be like, no, me, mine. I club head alone to me, ladies. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, didn't you didn't you kind of manage the theater for a minute, oh, too? Weren't you less said about there? that, the better. Um, oh, OK. I All did. Right. I was that was my last office because you lived down the street because that was their first space. I, Sarah and I lived, and that's I think right. That, yeah, you guys lived yeah. right there. That's right. We you lived right three doors down the street. Yeah, for one year, I managed the Twenty Second Street Theater. I was fucking terrible at it. I left. I quit. I was not fired. I quit and was like, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm so overwhelmed by this job. The the place got huge while I was there. And part of that is because I, I decided we should start advertising. And um, that meant expanding our classes from like three to 15. And there yeah. was just a lot of money changing hands and I could not keep track of it. And I, it was just colossally embarrassing. Um, and I didn't, I had this thing where I couldn't admit I was failing until I had already like fucking hardcore failed. Oh, wow. <laughs> and this has been discussed on many a couch on both coasts, but <laughs> I, I was just not capable of admitting that I was fucking this up royally. And then they finally took a look at the books and were like, what the fuck is going on here, John? And it all, you know, it all, it was just out. disorganized. It was though. just it super was, disorganized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, you know, uh, it was just really profoundly disorganized. And I wasn't like, we would get this cash in and I'd be like, well, I, I should take this to the bank, but fuck it's 9 PM. And I don't want to like walk over to the bank with, you know, $5,000 in cash on me. So I'll do it to tomorrow. It just kept piling yeah, up on yeah. me. And, and it became just this sort of thing where I was just not equipped. And thank God they replaced me with, um, with, with Susan who stepped in and had worked at the theater at second city, which was a far larger operation. And mm. she got everything all spreadsheeted out and she, she had an embarrassing amount of my mess to clean up. Oh yeah. But, um, hey, yeah, I, I, really, I mean, I, I fucked that I, up royally. I can only sympathize because that's a job that I would have taken and I would have been in the same boat because business and I are not friends. And well, Matt I thought that like, I are I, not, I, I mean, neither, but I had this sense that like, well, you know, like, what if I worked, like, I've been working in offices for years and all these temp jobs. What if I worked in office or something I really cared about? Yeah. And that is a noble idea. And for a little while, again, I was like, you know, I think we can afford to advertise and I think we can afford to bring on more teachers. And and I, I did kind of move things in that direction. And then it just outran me and I was completely yeah. fucking overwhelmed. Yeah, it didn't yeah. matter how fucking well-intentioned I was. It was just, I was imploding. <laughs> yeah. Well, what uh, what brought you to L.A. then? And I imagine you and Jamie were together. I mean, were you married by the time you moved to L.A.? Or No, no, we were. It was clear that like we were we were in this together. But I, I was just sort of um, I just didn't have the stability to to um, propose to her in yeah. any sort of. Well, you know, I, was, I still had my student loan debt. You know, we had just started dating when things went south at the theater. So I was mm. like, hi, I'm incompetent, but charming. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, it was, it was, I was an investment and a risky one at that. Um, yeah. But 
she wanted she was getting pressure from her her people to move out to LA and i was now i had been in new york for 30 years you know and it was yeah. all i ever knew and most of my friends had come to new york from someplace else so they weren't necessarily sympathetic to why anybody would want to leave cuz you know they're like you grew up where our dreams are built yeah yeah and I'm like, okay, but like, where am I supposed to go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if we, you know, and I should do some sort of like, should manifest my destiny. Right. Shouldn't I like go West or something? So we moved out in the beginning of 02 and I learned to drive here in LA mm. at the age of 30. Wow. Surrounded just me at Melrose driving school, surrounded by teenagers. <laughs> um learning to drive on the teacher's Nissan Maxima. Yeah. With the double brakes. Yeah. Yeah. With the instructor brake. Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, and then just got really, I just got really lucky. You know, I was, I was a 30 year old new face, mm -hmm. I think, which gave me, if not an edge, at least a novelty. Cause like mm -hmm. a lot of the 30 year olds are already pretty well known by all the casting directors right. at that point. You know, they've been out here for anywhere from five to 10 years. And does so, UCB have a cachet with it? Like, does that not matter? Yet. Not, not yet. yet. Okay. Not on the West coast. No, okay. they were still, they were still running out of, I don't even think they moved to the, the place under Christides. They were, I think they were still in the 22nd street space. Yeah. Um, and um, we had enough of a clout that we could go into IO and we had sort of Amy, Amy had called ahead and said, Hey, let, there's a, there's a few expats who are out there. Can they play at IO? And so we, we got up and we, we had a team called McManus, which was named for the, the watering hole where we yeah. all used to um, yeah, yeah. ourselves in our 20s. That was the bar. That was the UCB after bar. It was the UCB after bar, but it used to be the after bar for the local precinct. So the front half um, was all cops and they, very graciously seated the back to all these art <laughs> to the kids. improvisers. Yeah. Um, uh, it's fun for both groups though. It was fun for both groups. I like, yeah. we all, we all walked out with a story. Yeah. But, um, so we had like a little opportunity to perform and I got a driver's license and then I just got really lucky and, and booked a pilot, um, really soon after moving here and it mm -hmm. went to series and that was speechless. No, speechless was just for you. Oh, ago. right. Of course. Of course. Yeah, this was, which um, one was it? It was, well, that's the thing is that it was, it was an incredible opportunity. It was like, I got, I got a pilot. We shot a single cam version and then they were like, no, we want to do this in front of a studio audience. So we shot another version and I did that one as well. And then we got ordered, picked up the series and we we're going to go on after Frasier. We were called AUSA. We were oh, a yeah. legal sitcom with Scott Foley, who was coming hot off of uh, Felicity. Um, we had the wind at our back, but we were, we got mediocre reviews and we were on up against the second season of American Idol. Oh, and we just got our, like comically got our asses. Yeah. Handed to us. Now, mind you, and I've made this joke before, but when I say we got our asses handed to us, this is 2002, 2003. So we had like 11 million viewers. Yeah. 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 Which no, nowadays no. is, you know five no, seasons in a movie right exactly no the viewers that like my failures got would be smash hits now oh my god oh yeah. my god yeah. if you came out right now with andy richter controls the universe numbers yeah. you'd own television i know you'd own I know. the it's, fucking network they would have ridiculous. to buy you a jack <laughs> it's a different world yeah. um 
but but it doesn't matter. It was it was still an amazing experience, and I was like the goofy paralegal who said all the really dumb shit. And yeah, um, it was. And now that you say it, I do remember. I do remember. Just and I because I didn't remember, but I do. Rem- I have a distinct memory of like, oh, look, good for John. Like, look at that. Guy. <laughs> look at him out there working, you know, I mean, and I was here at that time, too. But I, I think I just saw the promos, you know, and probably would bump into you here and there. But you yeah, been, when you moved out, what, 2000? We moved out here in 2000. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, uh, I'm in I, I'm in the final staring contest. I do know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it I is saw my, that you posted. I, it is it. my proudest. It is still one of my top <laughs> five TV milestones. Oh, good. I'm in I, Andy's final staring contest. And I love that you retired all that stuff when you guys moved over to TBS. Um, but it. Um, it. Yeah, I remember thinking kind of the same thing when you came out and you were like, oh, yeah, look at him. He's in a guy. He's got all this cachet, but he's still he's doing something with a singular vision. It's it's really it's really fucking cool. But, yeah, it was I mean, it's LA only just- so much you can do that. I mean, you know, the compromise and stuff. And I mean, you know, and I really did. I was picky about who I chose to work with. And Andy Richter controls the universe. I did. I I. You know, they they set me up on meetings with a gazillion people and I just was like, I'm not going to do something lame. You know, I just didn't I just don't want it to be boring and lame. And, you know, I'm not worried about looking stupid uh, or, you know, being like being embarrassed or it, but just something that was dumb. Uh, you right. know. And then Ooh, Victor Fresco, right? Victor Fresco created that. And He's I mean, a terrific we were on, writer. I love this stuff. He's got a wonderful absurdist streak. Yeah. He and he just he had me as a recurring in. Uh, Santa Clarita diet just recently. That's right. Um, but it was, you know, it was like it was. You get it was it was shepherded by a lot of really cool creative executive types, mostly women, and then it got to the ring of men who were like, "What? What is this? Huh? Who's that?" And so it, you know, we got two mid seasons just because Gail Berman begged for it. Um, but yeah, but then, you know, and then, and that was, that was, you know, that was two nine episode seasons and you get paid as you know, you get paid piecemeal, you get paid by the episode. And then the next thing I did was quintuplets, which was just a show speaking of a Frasier writer did, uh, you know, had this idea it was me and, uh, Rebecca Kreskoff played my wife and we had five. And it was really funny because the previous pilot season, I was too young to have teenagers. And then literally one year later, I was the father of five 15 year olds. Like something happened in that year where they, uh, they could buy that. I could be old enough to have teenagers. Well, it's so but, funny. I had to have kids of my own for people to finally grasp it. To oh, believe it. Dad. Oh, it's pot. Yeah. His sperm works. Yeah. His dick absolutely works. We can have him play a dad. <laughs> that's, that's fine. But there's yeah. a real like a real hesitancy in my 30s where everyone's like, well, he's not a grad student, but he's certainly not a dad. I don't yeah. know what we're going to yeah, do with yeah. this guy. And I had a, a, a kind of a spooky lull there right before I turned 40 and um, where nobody was entirely sure what to do with me at all. Yeah. Yeah. But you kept I mean, even after that, you kept busy, right? You get, did a lot of guest spots. You had that. You know, I imagine that um, uh, uh, the, the, the Big Bang Theory was pretty fucking good for you i mean that's that's a really good good door opener that gets you meetings with pretty much anybody in town it got me it 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 allowed me a lot well i mean ausa opened a lot of doors don't i mean Mm -hmm. here's the thing it was a it was a flop by any 
measure. And I, I say that because at the end of the year, the Hollywood Reporter did a thing at the end of the TV season. The Hollywood Reporter had two lists of shows that they had as a reader's poll shows that um, their readers want to see return and shows that readers wanted to see canceled. And AUSA was on neither list. <laughs> Nobody cared if we lived or died. Yeah. And yet the cachet of having been even sixth on a call sheet on a network yeah. sitcom, you know, I, I, it, it jumped me to the front of a couple lines. Yeah. Yeah. Way where like, okay, well he will just do guest star. Yep. As opposed to co-star. Right. Which is um, a, a difference of a couple grand for the listener at home and a difference in billing. Yeah. Um, uh, probably a difference in the kind of room they put you in. <laughs> um, it, 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 it afforded a few advantages regardless. And I think it, it's funny, you know, people don't, you've seen this, people don't quite understand there is a, uh, there is that middle class that just applies to actors between, you know, the people who need a day job and the people who are movie stars. Yeah. And I've, AUSA got me like right in there, just mm -hmm. boom. I was able to just sit there and operate from, oh, I've got this weird little commercial gig over here. Maybe I'm doing a campaign for Jack in the Box where I play breakfast or I'm over here. I got this recurring gig here. Um, and so it's, it's it, yes, Big Bang Theory was a, a step up, but I, I have to give credit to Rich Appel and the rest of the staff over at uh, AUSA, which stands for Assistant United States Attorney, which was one mm -hmm. of our many hindrances, <laughs> one of the many hurdles we had to. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true, because they um, they want you to um, nobody wants to spend money on someone or something that someone else hasn't already spent money on. And they. They can validate anyone who would have someone above them say, why are you hiring this guy? They can say, well, they, over there at that show, they gave him this, you know, they paid him. They oh, OK. All right. The, the thing I always it just say, legitimizes you, you know, the thing I always say that is ugly, but is has been proven consistently right, is that your career is like a riot. Nobody wants to be the first person to throw a rock through the department store window. Yeah. But once that first rock goes through, everyone's going to run in and grab a TV. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's really hesitant to like trust, you know, to trust the the untested actor, the yeah. untested writer. But it takes one person to be like, nah, let's give it a shot. You know, it's it's P6 on the call sheet. What is he yep. going to fuck up? Um, and and then everyone's like, well, I guess it's OK. Come on, yep. everybody. Free stuff. <laughs> well, and I've always noted the difference between and it's like you said, there's the middle class. It's the it's there are people that. Are in the door because somebody spent money on them, but then the next level is people that have made money for them. You know yeah, what I mean? That's like, a really it's a very cynical, but very accurate yes, way to put it, because I you know, like I have. <laughs> you know, I had very well respected shows and and then and then, you know, the the sort of run of Conan to sort of give me some kind of, you know, comedy gravitas. But I've never made anybody a shit pile of money. You know what I mean? So uh, there's still, you know, it's like I can't I, people just assume that like. A, I'm loaded, and that B, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And I mean, relative, yes, I'm, you know, everybody that 
has a house is rich <laughs> compared to uh, you know the the bulk of humanity. But uh, like in terms of like getting things done, it it kills me when I still have you know people throughout my life have been like, can you look at my novel? I'm like, what's what the fuck am I going to do with your novel? Like, what do you, ex- I can't, I can't get a book published. You know, I mean, I probably could, but like, I would have to go to somebody and say, would you look like, why, why me? I can't help your script, let alone your fucking novel. I what are know. you talking about? It's crazy. <laughs> it's like saying, look at the, you know, I have an experimental aircraft and here's the blueprints for it. Like, well, why are you giving it to me? What the fuck can I do? You know, here's the downside of working on Big Bang Theory is that the, the three main guys, Johnny Galecki, Jim Parsons, Kelly Cuoco, had very, very public salaries for the last yes. three years of that show. And everyone yeah. knew what they were making and it was a sizable number. But no one has outside of the business has done the math to understand exactly how much lower guest cast was getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was quite a quite a comfortable distance from what yes, they were yes, um, yes. what they yeah. were pulling down. So you know you'll have somebody and I think you you fall into the trap of arguing with people online, as do I. And yeah. and you'll have people like, all right, well, why don't you pay more taxes, you and your millions? I'm like, sorry, me and my what now? <laughs> <laughs> Bigger pardon? Me and yeah, my witch? No, there, there's hilarious. There's I'm okay. Side. Don't get me wrong. I'm yeah. okay. I am don't worry about me. Yeah. But don't expect me to build a school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. I have a retirement fund my kids have I have money for college but like i'm not you know i th- there's there's a hilarious like site and i'm sure you've probably encountered this the uh celebrity worth site and i think oh mine ranges from 10 million to 15 million which is hilarious mine is obscenely wrong <laughs> uh, and it's, it's the same hilarious. people i don't want to get too political but it is the same people who come at me with the number that is on that site yes and also have done their own research on the vaccines. I'm sorry. It's a massive fucking overlap. <laughs> yeah. No, I, well, I get it. And I get it from both sides when I, like, I just recently said something, you know, my son was looking for a studio apartment and he, that some shitty landlord down by a college, by, you know, in a campus neighborhood wanted six months rent up front. And people, you know, use that as like, well, you're the one that wants the eviction moratorium. It's like, they've been doing this for fucking years, apparently, but I had never encountered it. But it still was like, anytime I talk about money at all, it's like, shut up. Yeah. Shut up, rich guy. Look, you're worth $10 million. Well, you know, and it's like, okay, I'm not, but you know, there's no this site written by a Russian bot told me so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, but anyway, that's uh, yeah, it's, it's still though. It's, it's interesting to me though, that you're, you know, you probably, you know, you're doing this podcast kind of about character actors and it is true. There's like, I think about, you know, when I think about like sort of, historic analogs from of my you know with my career to the tv shows that i watched when i was a kid you know yeah and it's the same it's like sam the butcher you know from the brady bunch all these different people that just they never were the star of anything but they you know you'd see him in everything and then you'd see him on game shows and yeah. it, you know and uh-huh. And it Game shows were the like, podcasts of our time because they would get they wouldn't get the enormous like they'd be like one person on Match Game who was the number one on their particular call sheet, but yeah. everybody else was just filling out the the yeah the, was the Fanny Flag yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know um, it was Charles just Nelson people, fucking Riley yeah and it was always and and 
it is true. Like those people, those people probably made a nice living and they had a night nice, and they had families and stuff, but yeah, they were, that was, you know, they had a, they had a good job, but they were not, you know, they're, they're, they're not, nobody's driving a yacht around. Like there's I don't think common, Sam the butcher had a yacht, you know? No, no. I, I always think there's um, just a few months ago, we, we, um, the actor Gregory Sierra died. Do you remember Gregory Sierra? Like no. a lot of people I talk about, you would know him if you saw him. Gregory yeah, yeah. Sierra was this Latino actor who had worked on, he was Chano on Barney Miller. He was. Oh on, yeah. I know exactly who that is. Okay. He just died like three or four months ago. And I texted James Urbaniak about it because he's another big character actor nerd. We had a nice little uh, uh, memorial, uh, like a little text memorial service for Gregory Sierra. But he was one of the first guys I noticed who just, he had a very striking look, you know, like really like a really strong chin, long hair balding but long hair on the yeah, sides yeah, but yeah. made it work regardless yeah and would also because it was the 70s would play puerto rican israeli he yes. was just all over like yes, he's the greek yes. guy you know yeah. he would just probably native the, american at some point you know, he probably was like Navajo god forbid point. he's got some sort of fucking nightmarish f troop credit you know yeah, back yeah. in the 60s but he was one of the first guys i looked at and was like oh wow who is this he keeps showing up. He keeps coming into my living room and I don't know who he is. And, and it was, and I, as just as I was starting to put together this podcast and, and Ben Blacker was like, who would you like to interview? Gregory Sierra died. And, and it made like a, like a tiny little ripple on social media. And I was like, I've got it. I know who I want to talk to. I know who yeah. the people are who I, I want to talk to. Um, Cause I, I wish to God I'd gotten a chance to talk to Gregory Sierra. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of uh, it. There's a a certain full circle quality to uh, to this stuff. Right. Well, what uh, what do you what do you do you have any like sort of concrete plans going forward? Is there any sort of dream project or is it sort of just. Plugging along, as they say, I, I, I. You know, there's a while there where I really wanted a gig where I would get to do kind of funny sort of absurdist comedy that like fit our sensibility, but would also get a chance to kind of have some serious emotional moments. And then I got to do speechless for three years, which was that, which was exactly that. And the, the better critics pointed that out, how we would kind of thread this needle between, you know, really broad absurdity and, and some actual emotional gravitas, given what the mm-hmm. show is about. And that was such a dream gig that part of me is just like, I don't know what else you got. You know, I'm just kind yeah, of yeah. floating around. I'm auditioning and I've gotten a little bit of work during the pandemic, which, you know, has actually, it didn't have to be good work, but as it happens, it was, I would have taken fucking anything. I was panicking last fall yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) really really nervous last fall um but but there's been there's been good work that's come my way on a couple streamers on a couple like critically well-received streamers and go ahead and plug them uh a terrific show called feel good for netflix starring a comic named may martin which we shot in britain in november oh cool um right after the election so it was me doing this uh incredibly interesting dark comedy all the while like and then they'd yell cut and i would have to go back to explaining the electoral college to the crew (laughs) that was a whole thing yeah and then a show called um generation for hbo max um which is a uh 
it's a smart, horny teenager show um, mm-hmm. um, about kids in Orange County. But those those teenagers need parents. And that's where I come in. Martha right, Plimpton's right. on it. Um, Sam Trammell, J. August Richards plays my husband on it. Oh, so cool. Um, yeah, it's a fun little that's a it, that's been a stretch, too. And it's been so, yeah, the work is is good. You know, I'm I'm getting good opportunities. And I think it's I think some of that comes from speechless. Yeah. From like, oh, he can be the dad and he can do a few different things. Right. And right. He, and also he, that show is very well loved and deservedly so. It, you know? it, it you know, it had a small but but devout fan base of people who really yeah. saw what we were trying to do. And um, it was it was a really fun gig. It was yeah, a really yeah. fun gig. That's great. Well, what do you uh, what do you want people to take away from your story? Do you get do you, people, you know, do you get young people asking you advice? Well, I do. But you just heard my story, man. Like, what am I going to tell them? You yeah, know, like, yeah. Uh, do a bunch of other jobs. Have a nervous <laughs> breakdown. I move back in with your mom. Does she live in Midtown Manhattan? No matter. OK. And, you know, like I'm really hesitant to give advice. No, I know. Yeah. But no, people used to ask me and I'd say, like, uh, first thing, get a job as a talk show sidekick. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, that's that's what worked for me. Yeah, there have been two. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, more people have walked on the moon. But um, yeah, I but no, honestly, the one thing I will I will say that um, when I decided to become an actor, I had tried a bunch of other things. I had tried teaching. I had tried working in an office. I had made a, like a little, like a paltry sprinkling of money writing for magazines a little mm. bit. I've had a few different jobs and was not great at them. I had famously uh, damn near managed a comedy theater into the ground. Um, <laughs> and I, I liken acting to the priesthood, not in a spiritual, the theater is my church sense, but in the sense that if you can do anything else, you probably should. Yeah. It's a big commitment. But yep. if you decide to commit to it, it can be amazing and yeah. wonderful. And you will get to live a bunch of lives inside right. your own. And, you know, yeah, that's it. It's like, yeah, the chances are slim. But if you really want to go for it, go for it. And that's, you know, that's applicable to virtually every job that you would pay to do, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, you know, not that I would pay to do everything that I do, but like, I also, I, you know, I get to have fun for a living, you know, really that's, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's, it's, I mean, I can see why I could totally get why people resent people like me. Oh, Cause shit, it is yeah. like, it's like, yeah, I just fuck around for a living and I get to meet the best people and laugh and it's, it's, it's awesome. It's pretty, it's pretty fantastic when they let you do it. Yeah. 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 Better than writing novels. Sorry, novelists. (laughs) Who again, we cannot help. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Uh, Well, John Bowie, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. And it was great. Good luck with the podcast. uh, Plug it again. Tell everybody what it is and where they can find it. It is called Household Faces. It is on the Forever Dog Network. It is produced by uh, me and Ben Blacker. And uh, our upcoming guests include uh, Xander Berkeley, Marilyn Ricecub, Fred Stoller, uh, Brooke Smith, uh, who is the girl in the hole in Silence of the Lambs, puts the lotion in the basket. Awesome. Spend an hour with Brooke Smith getting her story. Really wow. fun. 
Um, John Aston is coming up on the pod in a little while. Jim wow. Beaver. We've got a really fun roster. Oh, Jim Beaver's great. I is he great? Him. Yeah, he was on Andy Richter Controls the Universe. He played a uh, a convict when we had a Paget Brewster at, which, and I were both part of a, a program teaching inmates to write. And Jim was on that. And then, you know, and then just you get just, you know, Deadwood and all kinds of awesome stuff. It was a great conversation because he's yeah. also a, he's also a student of the industry too. You know, he's yeah. got this encyclopedic frame of reference about yeah. um, about old movies and stuff. He wrote a biography of John Garfield. Wow, which you can do. Um, <laughs> so he's he was a great guest. All right. Well, thank you, John, and thank all of you out there for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with three more questions for some other sap. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not.